Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. I'm making a really weird face at Hunter, but welcome to Puzzling Company, where we sit around awkwardly and play puzzle games with each other, and we're not really sure why, but it just continues to happen. Used to be week after week, now it's just every 10 days, so we're slowly... Letting our foot off the gas. I'm still waiting for the day that I'm not staring Jared in the face every time we record. Uh, it'll you, come. Sometime. You already you had that on your first episode. You were staring Zach. <laughs> in the, you're staring Zach in the face. Yeah. This is. Uh, we've got to keep track of the combinations of who's played what game. We've never had this combination of people before, so we're here sans Zach today. Uh, but Zach is going to be in on both of our digital episodes um, later this month. We'll talk more about those at the end. Today, we're covering a game that, as of the recording, is nowhere. It's really awesome, actually. It's super pumped. Like, we're, this is a, Blue Matter Games are the designers behind this game. This is a game made by Think Fun. This is the latest in the Escape the Room series, Murder in the Mafia. Hang around. We've got a lot to talk about with this game. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Jared here. And if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Zach and I love to test our skills as private investigators. We've had local police department reach out to us. We've had federal agencies reach out to us. And we always seem to catch our bad guy. But one of our favorite companies to do that with is Unsolved Case Files. They have a really great product. Their game works through envelopes. Every time you solve part of the case, you open another envelope and you get to dig into even juicier and deeper details until you finally figure out what's going on. They have a great online input system for their answers. And of course, as we always talk about, a great hint system to complement it when you get stuck and you're looking for that extra nudge. Personally, we love these games because they tell great stories. The stories have great twists. And the connections that you are making to solve the case lead to those super satisfying aha moments. Me personally, I like these games because they're what I call one sitting games, which means they take about an hour to two hours and you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger ruining it if you want to get all the way through it. You're getting an entire story, an entire game every time you play an unsolved case file games. Currently, there are eight of these games out there. You can find these games at unsolvedcasefiles.com. And just for being one of our listeners, you can get 15% off by using the code PUZZLE15, all one word, PUZZLE15 at unsolvedcasefiles.com. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here in the first section of our show, we do what we love and crave to do, which is when we finish a game, we talk about it. And we dig into what we liked, what we didn't like. Just a note, if you're looking for a more raw take on what actually happened through the playthrough and some opinions, be sure to check out our Patreon. $10 a month gets you three extra spoiler episodes. I think it's a great deal. You should check it out. But Hunter, I want to throw it to you because, as we mentioned, this game is not out yet, but it's not an unfamiliar series that we're playing with. If people are not familiar with what Murder in the Mafia is going to bring to the table, what it, what can you tell us about this game? 
So this one is pretty not typical uh, to most escape box games. Rather than like it sets you in like a game, it's like it sets you in the room. Like you are the detective, you are solving this mystery, you have all the evidence, you're in the crime scene, all that kind of stuff. And there's just a lot of uh, secrets and like tricks with the box and all of that of, you know, hidden puzzles and the story as it envelops. It will take you through each of those. But it is just a one puzzle at a time. You can have generally as many people as you can fit into this i mean i'd say it could fit as many as you want sure yeah one to three recommended yeah one to three recommended which is a weird number that <laughs> i have not seen that before yeah a, literally an odd number to have this group but um it, it's just a story uh, of you solving a mystery solving a murder and then uh interviewing subjects and hopefully making it to the end of the case and seeing who done it yeah i love it matthew anything you want to add to that yeah, I mean, I really enjoy this format. I think it's super cool that it walks you through, like, taking the box apart. So for those who are not familiar with this style of box game, you have this box, you have this packaging, you take, like, the padded packaging out, and the box itself is the room, and you just start unfolding it and putting it back together in its own unique way, and now, bam, you have the room right in front of you, you have all of the scenes, and it has all these specific markings to show you what you can and cannot interact with until you hit a certain point. Um, there are these really cool doors that like open and close as you guys uh, progress along. And it's it's just a super fun way of putting this kind of game together. I really, really like the way that the story and the gameplay came to life through just a box. And something we will note about this is Jared only played 40% of this game before he had to leave. So uh, Matthew and Hunter got to finish this game up. Just want to be very clear about that. But yeah, I think you guys did an excellent job of describing this. If you are familiar with the Cursed Dollhouse, this is the next in the series of that. And they are just doing an excellent job of experimenting with physical space in these style of games. It is, uh, as we have grown, one thing has stayed consistent in our ranks is that we hate folding puzzles. (laughs) But we don't seem to mind unfolding a box to build an environment. It's a little different. It is a little different. It's a little different because in this case, it's not a puzzle. We can take as long as we want to set it up. And it's just more about, I mean, it's just super, super cool. And there's not necessarily like a right way of doing it. Like if we really didn't care, we could just leave it as is and take stuff out of the box that we That's a good point. And it's it's an incentive, you know. It is. It's exciting to build it. Uh, Matthew and I were the ones that build it. We'll talk more about that in our Patreon episode because that was quite a venture enough before Hunter showed up. Yeah, I wasn't even late. You guys, Matthew got here 15 minutes early and you guys started doing it. And I was like, we had, we're going. We knew it was going to be like a Lego type of thing where it needed right. to get together before we played. Uh, but I want to start talking about what we liked and what we didn't like about this game. And Matthew, I'll start with you. What did we really enjoy about what this game does well? First thing that immediately comes to mind, and it's actually reminiscent of the previous game that Jared and I played together, um, is there's a story. And the way the story unfolds is very creative. Uh, So the way just kind of the structure of the narrative unfolds is that there is a door in the right panel of the box. And behind that door, there are these four tabs with these lock symbols that are numbered and you pull the tabs out as the book tells you to, and then that character speaks. So, as the DM always, I, you know, read it in a- As our fearless narrator. As as like a 1940s noir film narrator. It was ridiculous, but it was so much fun to do. And just the way the narrative plays out, the way that each of the puzzles are steps of a detective trying to unfold everything. And 
in case you aren't too familiar of like how the story is structured by the time you listen to this episode, the way this one kind of works is you are a detective. This is your office. You show up and there's this criminal, uh, this mob boss, not necessarily a boss, uh, the enforcer, um, that is just dead on your floor. He is and you very dead on your floor. have been extremely heavily framed uh, to be the killer. Your own gun is lying next to him. And you have to not only prove your innocence, but also figure out who it was before somebody else tries to take the credit. And it is extremely fun to just mess around with that narrative. I think it's easy to take a noir and just say you did a noir, but y'all tell me if I'm wrong. I enjoyed this. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it, to me, it did that, you know, 1920s to 1940s gangster motif very well. Well, and all the dialogue that's loaded in the, in the manual that you're supposed to be reading as you go along is just so over the top and yes. ridiculous. And the whole story with like all of these mobsters and their family members and the uncles, brothers, cousins, sisters, mother-in-law. Family trees that like, are insane. It, it's just so ridiculous. And I I love excessive when it's done right and doesn't like take itself too seriously. And that's what this narrative does in just such a funny and interesting and very compelling way. And as you're talking about like how the noir is done well, um, Probably something you enjoyed most about the game is the way that the game brings you in, and yes. we'll talk more about that later. But that's probably what does the best about it sets really you up. setting up that vibe. I agree. I want to also bring up this isn't like a 1940s like black and white noir. Right, like, that's like, a good point. Like, like this really, uh, it, it makes you feel like you're in there, and it doesn't uh, like take you out where it's like you're, you're watching a movie or anything like that. It's like everything's in color, everything's like live action. Well, not live action, but you're you're in there doing stuff. Very vibrant colors, so, might I add. I, I, I will bring to the fact just because you may not like the the old nineteen forties you know mafia movies th- this isn't this is like a step above that I'd say and and I will th- kind of like rounding out this like usually one of my bigger critiques of games is that we don't get to explore enough space nothing really happened outside of this room that we built and for at least the part of the game that I was here I wasn't tired of the space that we were in. And I think that's going to take us to our second point of why that was done really well. And Hunter's going to talk about that. This one was very well compartmentalized in that all the puzzles had their own little niche area that you'd be looking in. So typically uh, this one uh, with, with puzzles like this, you can like spread out and like everyone does their own thing and then everything happens at once. But this one drives you into one singular narrative and a one step at at a time. And it's very good about guiding you to where you're going to want to start looking. So, um, obviously, I wasn't here for the setup and all of that, um, but with that setup, I'm sure that helped you learn the names of a bunch of the items, so like the filing cabinet, right. like the water cooler, that yes. kind of thing. So, there's no misinterpretation of no. anything like that. Um, that's really handy in a game like this, especially when you're just kind of looking at it, especially at face value at the start, and you do not know anything that's going on. You just see a bunch of notes and a dead body, and you're so confused. Um, but this one is really, really good about teaching you how it's going to play the game which is very, very good in all types of games. Uh, it gives you a little bit of a running start just to get you started. And it's like, oh, we're going to be opening car- um, compartments, and you're going to be learning what's inside them, solve the puzzle, and then we're going to move on. But it's like the the notebook and the story is kind of like guiding you along, yes. and it lets you know what you're going to want to be looking at. And it also uh, stops you from getting ahead of yourself. I, I, I totally agree. And th- the interesting thing for, I think, all of us is, I don't think any of us can help separating our experience in one of these games from when we play a traditional escape room. So when you invite me into a physical space or when you invite all of us into a physical space, I think that opens up the critique of that physical space. And 
I, like you, Hunter, was super impressed by even just the small folding engineering mm-hmm. that was done in here. There's, uh, I won't throw any spoilers. Again, be sure to check out our Patreon for that. There's a very common piece of furniture from an office setting that we got to a point in reading and we were like, we can interact with that? Right. Like yeah. beyond beyond what we were expecting. And that's what it did. It shattered our expectations on, in my opinion, what's the hardest part of an at-home game? That's exploration. This game offers you exploration in a way that a traditional escape room was. Do you have to suspend your belief a little bit on some of the gating? Yes. But the game tells you that, right? Yeah, like Very clearly. It very clearly tells you that. And, and, and I want to take us into our third point, which is in talking about the onboarding. This game sets you up to be successful. Absolutely. The manual is very thorough without being obnoxious. Like if you, we, we've played a few board games together, but if your manual is thicker than what I'm willing to read before I go to bed, mm. I'm not playing that game, right? It's just Twilight Imperium, not playing that game. 40K, <laughs> not picking that game up. If I had to read something for Dungeons and Dragons, which you most likely do, not showing up for Dungeons and Dragons. Jared's not a very avid reader. No, not when I want to play a game. No, it's that's why I think puzzle books are so... We haven't covered that many on the podcast, if I'm being honest. I didn't know they existed, honestly. They're, that's a thing. It is a, it is a full-fledged thing, but I want to get in there. I want to touch. I want to play, and that's what I loved about this. And Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we all felt prepared to do that. Right. Well, and just it's very clear. It gives you examples. It points out specific props like this thing. You're going to interact with it in this way after this thing is said. Here are all these symbols assigned to each of the puzzles so you're prepared for the entry system and what you're looking for. Beautiful signposting. Oh, my God. Like If you ever have frustrations with signposting, this is not the game to worry about that because it's very clear. It, it also like when you get new materials that you might need later that you might be confused about, it's like, man, this might be useful whenever you get to a later step. Pay attention to that. I think this is a great way of getting people who like games into puzzle games and kind of to enter our sphere of nerdiness, honestly. Um, I think that's really great. I want to transition us now to talking about room for improvements. Just a reminder, if you're new to our show, we don't really sit around and talk junk about other people's creations. We say things that are critical, but we're not going to say like, what an idiot. How did they like, this is a section for us to be honest, speak critically in the best love that we can, because we want more of these games. I want another escape room. Like I, from dollhouse to this, I'm excited about the series. Yeah. I I really want to see more from them. Quite honestly. So, um, but let's jump right into that and I'm going to kick us off. Um, and I want to take us back to an old episode when we played the dollhouse. When Zach and I played the dollhouse, it was just the two of us. And he controlled the cipher answering system, which if you're not familiar with these games, similar to the exit game series, your answer and input mechanic is on a shifting cipher that reveals things through holes at the center of it. And to its credit, like Matthew was just saying, it is well signposted. My problem with it in... I want to be careful about this because it is mentioned in the manual, is that you have to be super, super careful with this not to see future answers. Like you have to be, it, it, it provides you a way to try to avoid that. But the manual almost goes as far to say like, make sure this is done and look away. <laughs> like, and, that, and that's hard because inevitably you're going to be getting information that you don't want to see. Yeah. So it almost seems like a poorly gated input system. Right. And 
I personally love the idea of having a physical input system. Agree, totally because agree. This way, you're not worried about your Wi-Fi. You're not trying to like break your immersion just to type into something. Um, there's no way that they accidentally mistyped the answer Correct. for a keyword. I'm looking it's at you lost symbols. in the shuffle. Um, but <laughs> like, it's just all these symbols. And there is a lock on it, but if you are actively trying to find the answer and you happen to pass the correct answer and you see it, you're like, well, we're wrong and this is the right answer. I, and if you want to be a good like sport about it, you can check and see where you went wrong, where your work might have been incorrect. But sometimes being a good sport isn't fun, you know, and you're just like, well... That kind of spoils it. That kind of sucks. My favorite comments during the game were from Hunter being like, I already saw the answer and that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I was about to uh, admit that you do need a level of trust with the person you're giving the answers to. So with this cipher wheel, you kind of have to give it to someone who you know is not going to look ahead and all that. But I let you guys solve it. You know, you, you guys you, you got to the You are a very end. kind, all-knowing answer master. Well, and yeah. what Once Jared left because he does not have the patience for us quite apparently. Um, <laughs> Hunter and I would like work on two different puzzles because a lot of times there were like multiple steps you can do yes. at the same time at a certain stage. Um, we we're trying to be, you know, well-oiled machine. We were both very hungry. We wanted to get dinner. Oh, yeah. um, I would hold on to the cipher and he would solve his puzzle and then we would like swap if we were ever like ahead of each other. And so at one point he was like, let me see the cipher. I'm like, I already saw it. It's, you're correct. You're right. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's keep going. It, it, it is a really cool mechanic. I just wish there was a way to switch it up. And again, they give you a way, but it's just not always not always handled the way right. that it needs to or and that you would expect an average player to handle it. Yeah, and then also the more that I think about it, the problem is there's nothing stopping you from getting the wrong answer, not even checking to see what the right answer is and just moving on because you don't actually need... I think there were like two or three puzzles where you need a correct answer to move on. Right. And like with games that we've played like box one where like some of the answers are based off of previous answers or um with like the shivers there is somebody controlling the answer input system you can avoid that but when you're trusting your player as much as you know like oh if the player wants to cheat they're ruining their own fun never trust the player never trust oh, no uh, and that's what's hard. But I will say this was backed up by a great hint system that we looked through. Very tiered, very nice. I do want to throw that in there. And extremely smooth. Like that's Very smooth. It's very, very nice that they have that. On the Think Fun website. So don't check that out ahead of time. <laughs> I want to talk about our next room for improvement. I'm going to throw it to Matthew. I was only here for a little bit of the puzzling. I didn't see... I didn't get to the more difficult puzzles that you and Hunter did. But in talking with you guys before we recorded, you said that there were some potential interpretive issues. Yeah. Um, there was one puzzle that I have in mind that will definitely be talked about on our Patreon for $10 a month, um, <laughs> where um, there I got the right answer. And then Jared was like, oh, that looks like a kind of tough puzzle. Let me look up like how you're supposed to do it. And I explained how I did it. And Jared's like, that's not even close to how you're supposed <laughs> to do it. How did you even get the right answer? I'm like, I guessed so hard, I guess. Uh, and it's just like, wow, that kind of is a little frustrating because there wasn't a lot of information that shows you how you're supposed to solve it. There were a lot of assumptions you need to make. And when all of the rest of the game is very logical, straightforward, you're kind of following some logic. There's like certain ones where you have to like follow a path in a weird way or another one where you have to like interpret numbers that you didn't even know you needed to interpret in the way that it posts you to. It's just like, how was I supposed to know that when you didn't expect me to know this other thing where I could like build something in a specific way, trying to avoid being uh, 
too spoilery here. No, that's uh, fair. But you build something in a certain way and it gives you the answer and there's no interpretation. How can you expect me as prob- a likely less experienced player to figure this out, you know? Agree or disagree, Hunter? I would agree. Quite honestly, it's really difficult to talk about this without talking about specific puzzles because, granted, I would say that there were only a couple of these that we had yeah, this issue with. Sure. Uh, where it's like, oh, you wanted me to do it this way, and I still got the answers, so I'm going to move on. And, it, and it's like <laughs> sidestepping out to the next puzzle. And I think the problem is just like there are so many puzzles that were just so awesome in here that I really liked and that made me feel a little giddy solving. And then that's I think that's why it's kind of hard to not bring up specifics because like it really is an exception. It, right. But, it, but right. the fact that it's there at all, can, it can be improved. Right. For sure. it, it can for sure be improved. And I even remember a puzzle that we were doing that we got the right answer, and then later Hunter was like, "Oh, it's because of this." <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. yep. Uh, and uh, and had the kind of the aha moment after the fact. So um, I think those are all valid points. The last thing that we want to talk about is in regards to a claim that this game makes that we're not hundred percent sure is like good. <laughs> With the the the, the yeah, go, yeah go for it okay, cool. <laughs> take it away so, <laughs> so while playing this game I may or may not have realized that a couple of these objects are a little fragile uh, this one this is, is a common realization that Hunter has yeah okay about it. <laughs> well, maybe we need to like take away the finer things from Hunter <laughs> okay. and touching things I and... am the pressure test for you guys you guys have to figure out if it can withstand the idiocracy which I bring to the table. <laughs> Um, but, uh, a couple of these objects are actually, most of these objects are made out of paper or some kind of cardboard or some kind of, uh, simple, you know, construction paper or something like that. There's not a lot of like, like coins or, or no. like, like neat little fidgets no. or anything like that, which is perfectly fine. I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, this is just an overarching issue that using these materials has with these, this game, um, is that it, it, it's easy to break. You know, and it's a little hard to put back together. Like there, there is a um, an a, a way to reconstruct this so that future players can play it again. Yes. Um, but with the destruction already wrought by some <laughs> members of the party, because it wasn't only me. It wasn't. Uh, um, we had this. We were like, we. How do you do this? Like, how, how do you put it back together and it not look gross from us? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the big thing is all the compartments that are gated and stuff. They are so well gated that it's almost to their detriment. Like certain things are like sticky, pasted. Yeah, like, a, like a resin yeah. almost. And so there's one point where there's this thing. It's like, go ahead and open it. It should be nice and easy. And we're like, uh, this is not past the two finger test. Like I'm going <laughs> to need to rip this off. And we're like, are we about to break something that we're not supposed to open? Or then some of the things that are folded, they're folded in such a way that you have to like unfold a bunch of it. Here comes the folding puzzle problem again. You have to unfold a yeah, bunch of it. Yeah, maybe it's just that we're not adept. <laughs> I think we just have terrible dexterity. <laughs> yes. I think this is what it is. But yeah, like there were a couple compartments that I just kind of, I was like, oh, this is how you're supposed to take it apart. Oh, and then you have to do this. Oh, I ripped it. Okay. I think it's a good point. Uh, I would just reiterate, like this game says that it is resettable, has a video um, to help you with that. But to me, there are some games out there that do this better to where if you handed this to me, I wouldn't know that somebody had played it for the first time. Yeah. This is going, in my opinion, to be very apparent 
unless you took another 30 to 45 minutes to put it to back together with your own supplies. And I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. that somebody, that's somebody had played it before us. I don't know how many people care enough where it's like, oh, I want to make sure this next person has a fantastic experience. I don't and then care spend the next, next hour to fix it all. Well, but I do not care about that. That's, that's, that's what's so difficult about this room for improvement is oftentimes this is a selling point because it's what we hear all the time in escape rooms. Oh, I can't play that room again. I already know everything. But you could at least be kind and hand it to somebody else. But I personally, based on <laughs> what I'm looking at right now, would not want to hand this to someone else. Yeah, um, it's just, um, it, it, it is. It just seems a little bit rough on the, hey, let's turn this into a resettable game. Conceptually, brilliant. Awesome. Love it. Want to play it again. But on some of our room for improvements, I think we'll stick by them and say there could be a little more tweaking to make this a little bit better. And, and again, obviously, overall, extremely enjoyable experience. I had a lot of fun, lots of laughs. And um, it's just every game has a little bit to it, you know. We're cheerleaders, as Zach always says. I love that terminology for us. It's what we are. They That's do some we, great things with paper, though. Yes. I, I, I don't think we emphasize that enough. It's yeah, very these are impressive. really crazy puzzles with paper. The, the or and and that's what's so exciting to me about this is in the last year and a half we've seen this advent, and we're going to feel it more and more with some of the games coming out of bringing physical spaces to the home, and this is immensely creative mm. in the way this is done. If you think about the break in series, if you think about this series, and those are all Blue Matter games. Like, Blue Matter is leading the front in bringing physical spaces into your home. I don't know how not to love it as an escape room owner and designer as we're all in that space. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be a really fun game. I think we would say definitely check this out, um, especially if you liked Haunted, Down, Haunted Dollhouse or Cursed Dollhouse, excuse me. But I think it was a tad puzzle-wise, a tad a little bit easier, if I'm recounting that correctly. Um, but be sure to check this one out. We'll leave more information about it in the show notes. But we're going to wrap this up. And when we come back, you know, we're going to turn Hunter and Matthew into Zach. They have no idea what we're talking about. Jared loves doing this. I'm I scared. love the mystery. We're in, we're in the mystery puzzle space. Like, forgive me. We'll be right back. Zach. Zach. What's up? Ever since we've gotten back from Boston, you've been spacey and some weird things with your voice have been going on. Okay. I go to get some donkeys and I bang a Yui and you're acting all weird now with me? That's exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you have like this southern Bostonian accent and I don't think that you're aware that you're doing it. I've always talked like this. No, no, you haven't. And, okay, let, let's, let, let's try something. I'm going to remind you of something that you did before, Boston. Like, ask you a little trivia. Do you remember what the first murder mystery game on the podcast that we did? I remember some game that we did that was about Harvard. Was it about that? No. Okay. You remember anything else? Uh, do you know what state that the murder happened Yeah, it in? happened in Florida. Oh, are you talking about, like, the lovely city murder that happened? Yes. Like, the killing affairs That's game? what I'm talking about. But now you're not, now you're talking normal. Yeah. B what do you mean? Okay, uh, tell me what you liked about A Killing Affair. Oh, it's a really great game. It's like a murder mystery. It's episodic. You have to kind of figure out what happened on that day. It's a cold case as well. Um, but over, I think, five or six episodes, you get to complete it. Really fun game. And I know that at AKillingAffair.com, they have other games as well. And I think they currently have a Jigsaw one that they just created. So really excited to see that. So you remember all of that. 
But if I told you maybe that the next game that we were going to play was about the New York Yankees, you would say, Oh, screw the Yankees. Go Sox. So, out of fear of Jared staring me down, we are going to be moving on to our next segment where we go away from this game in particular and we broaden the conversation more so to games in general and how certain aspects of this game reminded us of another larger conversation that is to be had with these games. And I would lead us into the question, but I have no clue what it is. It is Jared's job. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I am going to throw a little bit of a, a little bit of a curveball at you. I think we have seen this narrative told time and time and time again. So today we're going to be talking about the intersection of narrative and medium. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. We're going we're gonna to play a little imagination game today. You all have most likely played a video game of similar nature and can probably tell me a couple of video games and that you have played like this. Um, maybe even some digital adventures that are not you know, think web-based games. What is your preference is my first question for this narrative in the right game context? Well, one of my favorite games, if not my favorite game of all time, is a neo-noir style game where it's like a very similar, Hunter's giving me the death stand <laughs> because I, I never shut up about this video game. Um, it's a neo-noir style game where it's like kind of like a, an, a ludicrous, exorbitant, over-embellished mystery-style game um, with very dramatic characters, um, with very dramatic situations. And I find that very entertaining because there's a very special humor in that. You can be very ironic with it. And then also, one of my favorite things about writing is using the art of comedy as something more than just for telling jokes, the building of tension and release to... You can use that to write good horror. You can use that to write good adventures. Um, and in what is this game again? It's called Katana Zero. Okay. Um, it's just uh, it's like a Neo Tokyo Neo Noir game. But this is this is a video game. Yes. Okay. Yes, and um, I just love that kind of style where the characters are like brooding, but the joke is that they're being excessive about it because there's a really cool way of using that humor and then having like a dark situation and making that more accessible to people, but also bringing more weight to it. And although I love that this game kind of did that because it's like, oh yeah, people are dead. People are in closets. Um, and that could be a really creepy thing, but by putting it in this kind of more humorous, uh, I'm going to say almost like parody style of doing it, it becomes more accessible for somebody who enjoys it or doesn't enjoy it. You're bringing both ends of the spectrum. People who do not like neo-noir will find a parody of uh, noir-style stuff pretty interesting. So, yeah. What do you think, Hunter? I'm going to be completely honest. I have not played a game that is particularly uh, like similar to this story, but I have played a lot that are applicable. So I know I haven't played either of these, but I know LA Noir and Mafia are both in the same theme. I think they're a little more modernized, but I, I can't recall because I've never played them. Um, but from what I've seen from those, from clips and that kind of thing, I think those are really, really good about getting you in the time period mm. and like understanding the context of everything that's happening. However, I think other games that actually have no... Um, like relation to this whatsoever could also be applicable to the best way to appreciate something like this. And I'd say the Spider-Man game, there's a DLC for that where it is 
you know, gang violence, but it's uh, it's kind of in the same vein where it's like families and it's like sure. the, the Adichie, something like that. It's, it's taking the similar format and context. Yeah, and I think that is really good at understanding, you know, conflict between rival families and connections between rival families, like how that would work in these kinds of setups. But the one that came to mind first was the initial Assassin's Creed's, which is Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood are the main ones I'm thinking about. But that one has you starting basically an underground society like like a I, I can't like a, it's not a cult it's a group of sorts it's a brotherhood essentially i should have said that at the beginning but it's a brotherhood um and it just kind of connects and sprawls its trendles and it gains more power so not only are you running around you're doing um contracts for the group you're 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 getting more ground for the group or anything like that you're also almost playing like a sims like game where you're just controlling it and you have your areas you have your segments Mm -hmm. and it's like you're the leader of the mob boss how do you keep it running kind of thing and i I think that's the best way to see something like this because then you really understand the power they had and the grip they had over you know certain cities certain so so what i'm hearing from you is both of your preferences is to experience noir in the video game world i think that's the best way to do it okay what so I'm I'm gonna challenge that a little bit because uh, for most of us we're familiar with film noir right like that's where if you said that word somebody would say you know some old movie um, Maltese Falcon something like that you would throw out and say well that's that's noir um, but the conversation that Zach and I love having is okay different formats are going to bring out different aspects of whatever genre of thing we're talking about. So what it sounds like I'm hearing from you is purely because video games run longer, that depth of time is going to allow character development and story development that you just can't have mm-hmm. in a game like this, right? How For an average person, how long is a Katano Zero? Not full game max, but... If you complete the game, yeah, if you 10, just, 15 hours. Yeah. If you play just the basic game as a normal, pretty inexperienced person, the game would take probably a maximum of 10 hours. It's a decently short game. Okay. But if you wanted to like 100% the game, get all the trophies, all the achievements, sure. that would probably take you. I mean, so far I've gotten like a hundred, like a, probably 150 hours of content out of it just by replaying because a lot of the game is about time manipulation. And so by doing the game in different ways, you experience new parts of the story. Love it. But, okay, I want to bring it back to what we're talking about mm-hmm. today. This game boasts a two-hour timer. I felt like I played with y'all for about 50, 55 minutes. Maybe it took y'all an hour. Yeah, we finished probably, like, I think we were done probably 10 minutes before the timer would okay. run up. Yeah. Much shorter then. But inevitably, there's some good from this that you just cannot experience in video game Absolutely. world. Absolutely. What yeah. is that? The fast Haste because of how little time they have these characters are just showing up and it's it's I really like the humor of like you're in your office and then you solve a couple things and then there's a knock at the door this per- this character walks in they're a caricature of a st- like almost like a stereotypical character sure. it's a meme um, yeah essentially and then okay you're having some conflict you have to solve some puzzles to get out of this conflict another knock at the door another knock at the door and it's just like uh, people piling into the room and then there's the ridiculous ending of like I know exactly what happened even though you've been in here for like an hour you're like you did this and you did that and this is where you came into play and it's I, I like the longer form more often because you can explore the genre more but i think this does absolutely have its advantages i think this is actually more accessible to most people and i think a lot of people who enjoy 
noir or fine noir interesting can see this as its own animal that has its own merit. That's fair. Hunter, any thoughts on that? What did, what pulled out from you that's like, well, I would prefer this to play this aspect of it over a video game, given the genre? For me, it's more so just the amount of detail all in one room. Because I'm trying to think, I the whole time he was talking, I was thinking of the difference between this and trying to interpretate this game in a video game form. Right. I get so bored of that Be- because it's not meant for video game. Because if I'm in video game, I want to run around. I want to do stuff. I want to like defeat people. I want to fight people. I want to climb things. Like 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 it's that that's the setup. But for this, there's just secrets in one room. And if, if you try and do that in one room in a video game, you're like looking around and you're like, okay, I'm gonna move around. And you like turn around like 180 degrees and you're doing something else. There's not a lot of. There's no reason for it to be a video game. Um, granted, uh, some video games thrive in that, like the Rusty Lake games. Right. Uh, check out our last episode. Um, but those are really, really good at it, and they're built for it. But this interpretation as a video game would not work super well. But one thing I liked about this is just you can explore. The, it doesn't necessarily get mad at you if you try to explore, but there there is a narrative to follow. But there's just so many neat little things like off the get-go, you're like, I know that that opens. I'm excited to see what's inside that. I know this opens. I know this might spring up or something like that. That's super exciting because that's in front of you. You can feel that. You can catch it from after it springs up, something like that. And you obviously can't catch things in video games in real life. So I think that's definitely a, an advantage you have on this one. And this one is just cool to have on your shelf or on your desk afterwards and it's like yeah like i'm still a a little part of me is still there still wanting to solve more mysteries i like that a lot the thing that i've been thinking about while you're talking is uh you brought up uh some la nor i think of like disco elysium Mm. uh you're talking about katana zero more often than not you would play each of those games by yourself yeah yeah absolutely and um and i would too like we're hoping to cover disco elysium and some stuff in the future but that is going to be a solo review. And um, this is unique in the fact that, you know, when you watch a Nor movie, maybe you watch it with somebody, but most of the time you're silent. We're talking through this, right? And having the context for, you know, the traditional aspects of what a Nor movie is, we get to sit and laugh about it the entire time. Matthew was narrating in a funny voice. We had music playing. Um, to me, this livens up the community aspect of what we wouldn't have got to experience if I said, you go play L.A. Noir, and Hunter, you go play Nell, and I'll play it, and then we'll all come back together and talk about our experience. Inevitably, the choices that were made during that would be very different, and we would not have a collective experience to talk about. And I, I really like that point. And when we play a lot of these games, I, I think one of my main things that I enjoy thinking about or talking about is that this game would not be the same by yourself. You can play it by yourself. One to three people it recommends. Um, and I think playing it by yourself would have its own merit because you are playing as a sole detective no matter how many players Correct. are involved, right? Uh, and maybe it would feel more real to you. There'd be a bit more stress with that two-hour timer. But together, we make our own experience. We have our own goofs and gaffes when it comes to all of it. So, like, for instance, if something's wrong with the game, it's not as big of a deal when you're with other people because it becomes its own humor. When there's something wrong with the game and you're by yourself, you're going to sit in it a little bit more. And so I think, I mean, I love community when it comes to games and I, I love conversations. And whenever you play a game by yourself and somebody else plays a game by themselves, the conversation is not going to be anywhere near the same. Yeah, I agree. Even if we had played, um, even if Hunter and I had played this and then you and Zach had played this, 
experiences would be vastly different. Yeah. Vastly, vastly different. Because, I mean, if we were doing this, you... And I know I wouldn't, but you probably also would not do an accent when reading the narrative. I would try, but it would not have been as good. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I love the voice acting compliments. Thank you. It's yeah. so it's so great. But I remember, um, I don't know if you guys have ever tried this, but I remember when I was in college, um, we decided to play what was very clearly a one-player game with everybody sitting on the couch giving their input. Mm. And I'll never forget it. We played, um, I think it was called Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem, horror based kind of like third person running around a mansion. I think you had some weapons at some point. You're kind of losing your mind. I will never, ever, 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 ever do that again. Everybody was yelling at me, mm -hmm. saying that I was doing it wrong and try this. And it was like, you don't know what it's like to, yeah. to, to do this. But like, to me, that's what we would be if we flipped the script into this being a purely video game. Like, let's say Hunter's holding the controller. You lose all sense of agency. Mm -hmm. yeah. as a player moving into that single player digital. Um, so it's hard. And that's what I like talking about in this middle section. It's like, what are the trade-offs of the mediums that we're attracted to? And what's really interesting about that point is that to you, that doesn't sound all that appealing and, and probably most of the time to Hunter. But one of my favorite things that Hunter and I have done is play single, single player games together. Like for instance, uh, we originally had a goal to go through a bunch of the Zelda games or like uh, the big one was playing Breath of the Wild on master mode uh, where one of us would be playing, the other person would be looking up guides if we wanted to 100% the game sure. or something. And uh, it's a game we've already played and it just sparks conversation. Um, and that's one of my favorite formats for viewing content where like two people are having a conversation that isn't directly related because then it adds to the experience. Mm. So if you're trying to have an accurate experience to reviewing a game, you shouldn't do that. But when it comes to trying to find your own fun, a single player game, playing it with two people, passing the controller even, I really, really like that. It's its own kind of fun. Well, get ready because in two episodes from now, we'll be covering a video game. We're not ready yet to release the name of that. But the people that are playing it are playing it individually and then coming back together to discuss it. It's not a co-op game. So it'll be, it'll, it will be very interesting to see how that changes the course of this. But um, I'm, I'm really thankful for the conversation today. It is just interesting to see how things change based on the decisions. They could have turned this into a point-and-click game. Mm -hmm. They could have turned this into a walk-around. Like there's a great Annapurna game out there called 12 Minutes where you are in the same room yeah. time and time and time again. That's hopefully a game that we'll get to cover in the future as well as it does fit well within what we do here at Puzzling Company. But it's just fun to sit back, and that's what we do here in the middle section. Think about what's actually going on in this game. What does it mean compared to the other things that we're talking about? And as we like, have a conversation about it. And that's really going to wrap us up for our second section. As you know, in our new format, we do not have questions for creators. But I will say, um, as we've plugged many times during this episode, come, come sit with us on the Patreon. It really is fun to laugh and kick back and enjoy this game if you enjoy spoilers and a little bit more of a candid take. And coming soon for Patreon members, we'll also be having some interviews. We will be bringing back the interview, but just as the interview, not with the game. Um, getting to have a more conversational style talk versus just a question and listen as we used to do. So that is really going to wrap us up. Matthew, you have a note on the way out. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, I really appreciate the support that we've been getting on social media, but I do want to go ahead and take this as an opportunity to plug uh, the fact that, yeah, 
we do have a very active Instagram now. We like to post at least twice, maybe even three times an episode. Um, and we really enjoy your engagement. So feel free to leave a comment, message us. Uh, I'm usually going to be the one in charge of it. So you're most likely going to be hearing from me, uh, maybe even Zach sometimes. And we're going to try and engage with you guys. So if you ever have any comments, questions, concerns about any of our episodes, please hit us up over there. We appreciate all of the followers we're going to get. And on Twitter, we are yet to really garner much because it's very recent. A lot of people don't know about it. So I want to be very clear. We do have a Twitter. It is run by Hunter, for better or for worse. Um, and we're having a lot of fun on there. And we really would appreciate you guys coming on. And, of course, the more support we have, uh, the more we're going to be able to contact some creators. We've already gotten a couple creators that are interested in coming for standalone interviews. Yep. And I'm super excited to get to talk to them. But please keep on supporting us. Keep on listening. Keep on recommending. And we'll keep on pumping out some episodes. I love that. And and if you want to check this game out, this game will be out on the Amazon store and the Think Fun store come later this February. Um, be sure to check that out. There will be a link um, when it is available in our show notes. So be sure to check that out. Be sure to check out other Think Fun games. They have a lot of wonderful non-puzzly material as well. Um, and I just I highly recommend a lot of their other products as well, in addition to the puzzly stuff that they put out. Now, as we turn to next week, next week will be our digital episode non-video game. And we are getting to partner up with some of our good friends from across the pond. And this is not a new game, but I think it's a game that still has high potential. And that is going to be Escape from Mebo Island by our good friends uh, at Sherlocked. So um, be sure to check that out. I believe that will be Hunter Matthew and Zach playing that game with a few uh, extras who won't be on the show, but we'll be sure to talk about them. So for everything in Puzzling Company, thanks, guys. Another great episode. Come sit us with us next time. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. Puzzling.